Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. Hi there. Today's episode, I interview the wonderful Sarush Tavakoli, who is the co-founder and CEO of Stockeld Dreamery a plant-based cheese company based in Stockholm, Sweden. We met a few years ago at a plant-based foods conference in France uh, when Sarouche basically had a big idea and a fantastic partner and they were really thinking big for plant-based cheese. I don't know if you've read some recent reporting around this. This is an excellent article by Alicia Kennedy in ETA all about plant-based cheese and how it's been such a tricky category to crack. Often it's mostly been using nuts as the main replacement ingredient. Anyway, so in this post, on this podcast, I speak to Saruj and I actually get to try their first product, which is out this week, which is called the Stockeld Chunk. It's a crumbly, feta-like cheese. Um, so I'm tasting it on the podcast with him via Zoom. And we talk all about the ambitions of the company, how they came to be using the ingredients that they do use, what their IP is, and what's up next. So I really hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Saroosh. So where are you right now? And what is your, how would you describe your relationship with food? You know, are you a big eater? Do you eat for survival? What's your favorite food? Mm, I am in Stockholm right now. And I, I like food and I eat a lot of food. And I'm also the rubbish <laughs> bin in my household. Uh, you know, we all have, uh, every household has that one person who eats everyone else's uh, leftovers. So I'm that person. Nice. I'm always innovative with whatever is going bad. You know, oh, it's not that bad. Like you can just cut away the brown edges or whatever. And But I, I really like food. I like cooking. Any food that you just will never eat either for like personal reasons or because you just hate it? I've stopped eating meat a while back and I just felt trying to stay away from it from an ethical perspective and just didn't like, you know, I I didn't want to go fully vegetarian, but then everybody didn't, nobody respected me for that, right? So wherever I went, they were like, ah, but you eat meat, right? And then there'd be like a big steak. And I was like... I do, but like I don't, I don't actually want to eat much of it. So I felt I had to just put that vegetarian like label on me, so people would adapt a bit when I when I go meet them. <laughs> oh wow! So you felt like pressure for you felt pressure for that, or it was like a it was a direction you were going. Like you go to a barbecue and all they do is meat, and there's like a bit of vegetables. You can't go eat all the vegetables, you know. <laughs> there's nothing left for for the rest. So. So you end up, but now when they do a barbecue, they do a lot of vegetables. So I can happily eat the vegetables, you know, mm-hmm. and I can, mm-hmm. but it's hard. It's a bit, I don't mind like having a bit of meat every now and then, but it's also then, then I lose my face a bit. <laughs> so, so right, I might, right. I I might sneak doing that. I don't want to be, I don't know, working with food. I don't want to be handicapped. I definitely eat cheese. I eat lots of cheese. I, I feel it's important that I can eat cheese. Well, so you're a reducitarian, a flexitarian, but like a very hardcore reducitarian, more on the reduction side than the other side. For sure. Definitely. I would say I am 95% vegan. 
I would go that far, actually. So you have a background in advertising technology. What made you come into food? Oh, wow. I was looking for a big problem to solve with my second company. So I had a, uh, I had a full journey with a, with a video advertising company. And then selling that, I knew I wanted to do another big adventure. So I really took my time and, and I wanted to do something good for the world. And first I had to figure out like, how do you, what is good? <laughs> and how, you know, <laughs> how, uh, who are, the people do the best good, what are they doing? And it was a long journey, three years that took me to the food industry pretty quickly. And I looked at microalgae and duckweed for about 10 months before deciding to not do that and focus on the, on the protein shift and, and specifically cheese. And I mean, it's a, it's a huge problem, right? 4% of global emissions is come from the dairy industry. And there's just lots of waste of resource. That's how I ended up in cheese. And, and I mean, I was looking at, look, looking at what's happening, right? Like we have to shift our diet towards a more, a more plant-based diet. Everybody agrees with that. People understand that. People are trying to shift. People are trying to reduce to various degrees. But then they're very limited to the alternatives available to them as they're trying to shift. Where there are good products, the shift happens, right? And where we don't have good products like cheese, uh, we we don't bother. We stick to the to the old products and the animal-based products. But it's it's kind of like we stick to them despite them being made from milk comes from an animal. The question is just you know what uh, what would it take to make better products? And turns out, yeah. yeah, no one's really tried to make a better cheese, not not proper. Yeah, it, it's interesting because alternative meats, you know, have been around for ages. And I live in the UK. We've had a company called Corn that's been at it for years. So, you know, veggie burgers and stuff has been kind of in our vernacular. But a plant-based cheese is is definitely something a lot more rare. I've probably only tried a couple. I think Miyoko's Kitchen that was, you know, in the US, they were they were, you know, everywhere. So it's interesting. And for me, you know, I eat a lot of a lot of cheese and feta, which is quite similar to the product we're going to talk about today. Mm. You know, I would never have thought to kind of replace that and do something different if I wanted to make, you know, a salad with it or whatever. So it's definitely a new category. So did you consider but did you consider alternative meats? Or alternative I'm milks actually, or anything? I was like that? never interested in meat myself. So I didn't like I, as I as I had less and less meat, I didn't want to have fake meat. I, I was looking for other products to, like I was really into tempeh. I thought it was a fantastic meat replacer, but not a meat imitator. Mm. You know, so I was never interested in that. But cheese, I mean yogurt, my God, it's it's terrible. Uh, Plant based yogurt. The milks are great. Uh, I mean, lots of variety, full of flavor. There's different nutritional profiles. The only thing with the milks is the price. I mean, they're still like twice the price of cow's milk, but but it, it seems to not be an issue. I mean, the market is growing really, really fast. Yeah, I'm definitely an oat milk convert. Yeah, oatly convert. So you mentioned algae and duckweed, and I'm like super fascinated by this space. And I think, you know, it is going to blow up at some point, or maybe not blow up, but slowly inflate. But why did you not go into that? I would say it was almost like a personal decision. I, I realized, you, you know, you need to do, do lots of work on the growing systems, uh, cultivation systems. Uh, you had to create monocultures eventually, right? So you want only your, if you grow duckweed, you don't want algae to grow in your water. You need to then take this plant, which is green, it's a leaf basically, and you need to 
extract the protein and more importantly, actually extract the color out of it because nobody wants a green protein. It's just like, and then, and then make it taste neutral. And it's just like a long journey. First figure out the cultivation, then figure out how to make it useful. And all, you also want the proteins to be functional for them to be useful. And there's just so many things to do. And it's also duckweed is like a novel food in, the, in Europe. Sweden's a terrible place to grow foods. <laughs> you know, you can grow it like half of the year at best. So there were a lot of things that I was just like, now I know exactly what I need to do and I don't want to do it. <laughs> right. You completely scoped it out. Yeah. And I was like, why limit myself to one ingredient? I felt it was much more compelling to have access to all the tools in the world, right? All the ingredients. And that way be able to create better products, but also... I felt there's a huge need in, in, in kind of a, a better packaging or presentation of the products where all of the products were like vegan and we're free from and we're not this and we're not that. Very little about what they are. And there was no like, yeah, zero engagement, you know, like I think beyond Miyoko's, there's no other brand that I think anyone give a shit about, to be honest. Like yeah, no one would yeah, care right. if they die or you know, uh, mm-hmm. might, might mm-hmm. like the product or one or two, but yeah. Right. So I've got a Stockhelm chunk here and I've been trying it and tasting it. It is delicious. So as I said, it's like a feta, but it's not a feta. So tell me a bit about like the thinking, why was this, is this your first product to launch? And I'm going to eat some now. Yes. So excited to have sent you cheese. So we're launching the product next week, Thursday, uh, May 6th. I don't know when when you'll publish this, but um, yeah, we're super, super excited. We've been in R&D mode for about two and a half years, and we've developed this kind of protein technology platform that allows us to do a lot of things. And the first product coming out is the Chunk, which is a a salad type cheese, a, a feta cheese alternative you could say as in it should be used in a similar way to uh, as you do with a salad or a feta but it's not meant to give you the full flavor experience as a as a feta so it's kind of honest to its own flavor but functionally and the texture and the use cases are are meant that way so we're yes super super excited about the product and and i have to say i mean we've done confidently we've done more than a thousand iterations and I think we've had over 40 chefs involved in the process who've been trying, uh, you know, early on, spitting it out every now and then. The chefs are very honest, you know, they're, they're, they're not out to please you. So the feedback has been very honest and consistently improving. And even in November, December, I honestly had a lot of doubts around the product. You know, is it still, is it good enough? And and something happened in uh, in February as we really uh, nailed the production in our facility where the feedback started to turn dramatically. And we also went in a bit more into launch mode. And the last 15 meetings, all every single chef has said, this is great. I want to put it on my menu. And, you know, it's just been like not being able to, to, to fake the feedback. So we're very excited about the product. And also when you ask chefs kind of like, what would you do with it? It's all over the place. They have, they're full of ideas of how to use it and in different um, contexts. So what changed in February? I think it was just the, the continuous uh, optimization that we've been doing on the product. And we have some further optimization we're doing now as well. I realized maybe we should talk about also what the product is made of and, and kind of what it is. 
So it's a, yeah. it's a fermented cheese made from pea and fava protein. And uh, yeah, it's nutritionally very equivalent to a feta cheese. So it has about 13% of protein. It has almost no carbs and it's about 20% fat. Uh, so we're super excited about the nutritional uh, uh, composition. It's um, also being fermented. It has you know live microorganisms in the product as well. Yeah, seven ingredients in total. So, yeah. Tell me about how, tell me about your discovery process. Because I think this might be, you know, where some of the companies in the space have their secret sauce. How did you pick your ingredients? I guess pea protein is not, you know, a crazy idea. Lots of different alternative protein companies are using it. But, you know, how many different ingredients did you trial with? And what was the discovery process? Yeah, I mean, we've done some, let's say, basic research while also developing the product. So we've screened more than 500 proteins in this process. So we've really been looking at, you know, how to functionalize them what their molecular kind of interactions are. And eventually it's about kind of building, if we go into nerd mode, you know, how do you create a a matrix where the protein is the key component or let's say the scaffolding that keeps things together. So, uh, and, and then eventually makes a complete food system, right? Where you have fat, water, starch, and other components uh, kind of come in. And, and then you want to, in our case, as we're, uh, you know, after creating cheese-like characteristics, we want to mimic casein behavior, but also the complete food system. The milk fat is also quite unique. But then, so then it's about kind of picking which cheese you're after and what characteristics and the key challenges in the texture. So that's where we've been spending most of our time. And that's also, frankly, what we're the most excited about having achieved. And now with this technology, we can, uh, we're deploying it to make uh, a cream cheese and we have other cheeses in the pipeline coming uh, next year as well. So the cream cheese will actually also be launched this year. So the texture is harder than the flavor? Yes, uh, very, very. Why is that? Because you can always kind of, there's a lot of work you can do on the, the flavor. The flavor is, maybe you can say the flavor is dead somehow, while the, the texture is, you know, it's, it's dynamic. It, it, um, the functionalized uh, ingredients and proteins, you know, that, that, that keep it together. And, and maybe you can think of something as like a, you can have dead powder, you know, of something and it, w- it won't do anything. You mix it with water or whatever, it, it won't do anything. But the, the whole trick is like, how do you make these proteins really functional to hold, let's say, as a, if, if you think of a feta, uh, so it can be dense enough, so it can crumble just in the right way. You don't want it to be like a jelly. You don't definitely don't want it to be like a Nutella. You know, you, you also want that authentic crumbliness, which is dynamic and kind of a bit irregular and not yeah. homogenous. So there's like a lot of things to figure out with that. And also you, you can't fool the mouth as much as it comes to texture and the mouth feel, how it coats your mouth and all the different phases when it's mixed with your saliva, when you swallow, all these different components. The, the, the mouth is pretty good at detecting fake. <laughs> I think you have that a lot in the vegan, uh, in the vegan cheeses today. The flavor sometimes like, wow, this is kind of cheese, but then it just, boom, it's gone, right? It, it doesn't stay in your mouth or, or it, it doesn't continue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it definitely crumbles like a feta. So you definitely, 
nailed that. So what is, tell me a bit about the process then. You know, so, I mean, like, and actually I was going to follow up and say, I guess you want to get all that texture without putting loads of crazy other ingredients in. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that's also where fermentation comes in, right? So it's a fermented product. You have the, you know, what, what cultures do you use? How do you, you know, temperatures and, you know, p- uh, cultivation times, all these things matter. And for example, if you, if you try the product pre-fermentation and post, it's like, you can't even taste it before it's fermented. It just, just tastes like pea protein and, you know, it, lots of off flavors. So there's a lot of stuff happening in that as well. That is really interesting and, and important because the, the flavor it's hard to make it neutrally flavored, right? So you can make something with great texture, but it might have tons of off flavor, right? Especially if you have a high protein content as we do, 13% is is unheard of in the world of plant-based cheese today. And I think a big part of that is because these proteins have so much flavor that that you, you know, you you just can't work with. So you have to tone it down. But but the, so there's a lot of, of work we've done in that as well, making sure that it, it has a really nice flavor. How have you managed to put more protein and, and deal with that flavor? Like, is there some secret sauce here that you want yes. to be cagey and, about? And, uh, no, but but I mean, uh, I'm, I'm trying to stay very conceptual and say common sense things. Obviously, you know, yeah, we've we've just uh, filed our first patent on on uh, regarding the, this this product as well, and obviously, there's there's lots of IP that goes into this technology platform. So, and it's IP around the process, it's IP around how you ferment, it's IP all around it. the ingredients. All of it, I would say, yeah. There's, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> Be very tight lipped. <laughs> I mean, we're we're all about R and D, right? We're we're obsessed about cracking this, and we have we have an R and D team of seven of six people now, and uh, you know they're they're working hard day and night. So obviously, we want to make sure that we can make the most value out of that. Now you've expanded your R and D team recently, haven't you? We have, yeah. I mean, the whole the whole company's kind of exploded because in. Uh, we were three people in August and we are 13 now. Uh, so less than a year. And then we're going to be close to 25 by the end of the year. So we're just, we have, we're, yeah, all cylinders are, are running right now. How do you prioritize which teams to expand over others? I mean, it sounds like it's growth on all levels, but where do you kind of have extra? Yeah, it people? used to be all R&D because we didn't have a product. But then as the product was getting ready, we needed production. And then Ali joined us from, he's, he's had 13 years of experience in food production and he's run a chocolate, he's our Willy Wonka with, he ran a factory with 350 people. So super fortunate to have him on board. And then and then now, just in the last two months, we've had our head of sales join, uh, head of marketing, and also Daniel joined us on, on special projects and strategy. So, but then honestly, we're also investing a lot in in people operations and HR, given how fast we're recruiting. So, you also need to build the, the structures around the company as you're growing so fast. Mm-hmm. All these people need, you know, they need a laptop and a phone, and you know, there's all these things around it as well. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to look after them. And so what is your go-to market strategy? Is it restaurants? Yeah, we start with food service and we're 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 trying to be really thoughtful around the brand. And also, I mean, we have to crawl before we walk and run and all that stuff, right? Because we still haven't sold a kilo of cheese. We we're humble uh, as it comes to production and you know, 
uh, you can have failed last two weeks ago we had a failed batch at production which was supposed to be sold that's why actually the batch you got is is like five weeks old so like things like that will happen so we don't want to go crazy from the get-go we'd rather go with a few restaurants so we've 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 lined up uh, now two restaurants or or it's one restaurant and a bakery that we're launching with where they've made special dishes with with the product and we also have Stockholm's best cheese store and wholesaler, uh, which we're really, really proud of. They have 400 to 500 cheeses at any given point of time. They've had one vegan cheese three years ago that they uh, didn't eventually think was good enough. And they were over the moon as it came to the, uh, when they got to try the Stockholm chunk. And the, the owner there, he said, well, wow, you know, if I'd been in Asia and they would have served me this cheese, I wouldn't have doubted one second that it was made from milk but obviously yeah it doesn't it did flavor wise it's not fully what what i'm used to but they think it's a great product and and he also said i i'm, I'm confident we will provoke some of our customers who will come in and say this is not cheese <laughs> we're excited to have them on board and and get that kind of validation which again is uh, is cheese is very special you know there's 10,000 different cheeses in the world so there's not like one this one cheese to mimic you also have craft that goes into cheese you know like we want to be respected as a real cheese but i don't think oatly wants to be respected as a real milk right because that that definition is, in a way is that it comes from an animal and the same goes for meat i don't think the the plant based meats want to be respected as a real meat but we want to be a real cheese. We want we want people to think this is a new cheese and it has its own characteristics and flavor. And uh, I really enjoy it for what it is. And that's where like not faking it, just making it comes from. We're not trying to fake some other cheese. We're trying to just make great cheese products. And Interesting. I mean, I actually think Impossible Foods does want to be called a meat. They've got this new ad campaign. I don't know if you've seen it. And it's all like... Some, a southern accent saying this is meat made from plants <laughs> terrible impression but they're like very much drumming home the meat mm. you know phrasing the meat word which is interesting and that kind of gets into the whole you know can you call it these things you know are there any lobbies in sweden around using the word cheese because in the u.s there have been various different states that have banned the word you know the use of the word milk for instance for any plant-based alternatives yeah, unfortunately, we have the amendment, you know, 171, right, 171, which is uh, all about trying to protect the dairy industry and what they've built over the many years and, and kind of not have us new companies that come with other ingredients infringe on their kind of IP or, you know, the brand, uh, the brand yeah. that they've built that's all about and that's there's a big fight i know there's lots of lobbying going on on both sides obviously of this and i've read the i've read the draft and it's super vague you know what it actually means i think it will all come down to how it will be interpreted and and put in effect into law so we'll see how that goes for now i think you can say you can say vegan cheese or plant-based cheese you you can put that on the package but just knowing that you might have to change your mind i think so I just got, but we're not, we're not going to use the word cheese. I mean, we, we use the word cheese on, I mean, I've said it 200 times already in this conversation and we're using it on the website in terms of our ambition. Our, I mean, our first vision is to create the world's most ambitious cheese. And 
you can't take our ambition away from us, you know. Now we, uh, <laughs> so that, that's what we, and, and you know, the way we define the world's most ambitious cheese is something that is tasty, right? Tastier and more nutritious, something that is preferred by top chefs and restaurants, something that is very, a cheese that's very uh, resource efficient, right? Constantly using less and less, be smarter with the resources, and a cheese that's available for all. So, not a, you know, premium product uh, as such so that that that's what what gets us up in the in the morning yeah right exactly <laughs> so I want to dig in a little bit more to the ingredients you know particularly about the pea protein uh, you know there are some question marks around like the sourcing of some of these core ingredients you know not least because there's been at times some scarcity I think in terms of pea protein but also how that pea is grown and so on like how far up the supply chain do you go do you literally just purchase pea protein powder or is there something you do with it before and yeah. is this yellow pea you know just tell us more about the pea we have you know with with kind of sustainability being kind of at the core of, of our why we do have lots of debates internally as to what is important and what is in, what is important when and how important is it etc and and obviously the ingredients are are very important for us the, the the key focus that we have is to remove the the milk right which is the really resource intensive ingredient so the second step is to create a very, very good product that people actually want to eat, right? That tastes good, that has the right uh, appearance, flavor, all, all these things, uh, functionality. And then obviously the ingredients are, are important. We've tried to, we've obsessed on science, trying to get down the recipe to as few ingredients as possible, as simple processing as possible, right? Now, as it comes to, yeah, we're using pea protein and fava protein. Uh, so those are, uh, and we, yeah, we buy the powder, and so far, we haven't been very sophisticated as, as it comes to sourcing. We're working with suppliers. We've talked to plenty. We're trying to source ingredients from Europe, given that we are here. But we also have global ambitions. So, you know, we're, we're not necessarily trying to be too Swedish. That said, all every Swedish chef and purchaser, they're always like, what ingredients are Swedish? And, and we're kind of trying to navigate that and being clear about, you know, we do have larger ambitions in, in Sweden. And, and and frankly, there are no, today, there's no Swedish pea protein. There's no Swedish fava protein. There's Swedish peas. And I think there's some people growing fava. And even on, on European basis, like there's no fava that is processed in in, in Europe. It uh, I think there's like, we found one tiny provider, but they can't really offer scale. So that's a shout out to the listeners. If you have European, you know, grown and, and processed uh, fava protein, we, we'd be very interested in that. So the pea comes from, I think it's both from North America and Europe, but it's processed in Europe. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I presume a lot of that infrastructure is going to build out, you know, with demand, you know, in all the alternatives. There's lots space. of, yeah, so many things are happening in that space. So very, very excited to see where that goes. Also, as we increasingly grow food for humans and not for animals, right? And hopefully farmers can also make more money doing that. So, so very excited to see where that goes. So where next after Sweden? Yeah, I think the second and third market, we're debating between Germany and US. And I, I love the pod you did uh, with, with the woman from Eater who'd, who'd done this long, super long yeah, article about plant-based cheese and I spent a ton of time uh, in the, in the US and 
and we've had cheese from all over the world. There's there's just no good product anywhere. And, you know, she summarized it as the three categories, the the flavored fat, as she called it, uh, right? Coconut oil and starch, we call that category, which is like 80% of the market. And then you have the nut-based at scale, which is maybe Kite Hill, and you'll have Simply V does some of that in Germany. But And then you have obviously Miyoko's that's uh, based on nuts. And then you have the super crafty, you know, delicious handmade uh, dessert cheeses that are made also and almost exclusively on cashew, but also but it can be other nuts. We don't fit any of those categories, right? Because we're like highly, we're, we're made from plant proteins using pulses and our protein content and our nutritional composition in, in, in total is just very, very different from all these other products. Uh, and also, I, I would say from a sensory perspective, texture, flavor, et cetera, we're just, we stand out. So I'm very stressed about <laughs> moving out of the 10 million, uh, you know, uh, inhabitant uh, country of Sweden. It sounds like the world is your oyster. Yeah, it sounds like the world is your oyster. There's lots of places you could go. Yes, uh, but it's also cheese is not a global product. I mean, it's not really used so much in Asia, for example. So it is predominantly the cheese market is Europe and US. So even though pizza is taking over the world, um, you know. So there's been some bad press in the plant-based space around the health and nutritional profile of some of the alternatives, right? And the level of processing. Where do you stand on that? I mean, obviously you've decided to go for a few ingredients. I'm not sure about the processing uh, element. <laughs> it sounds like that's sort of secret sauce. But where do you stand? Do you think it's a bit unfair? Do you think it's like the meat lobby kind of thinking of something to throw at this growing industry? I think it's an intriguing topic. And I do think it's interesting to, you know, we're not eating meat, but then what are we eating? I think that question is very valid and, and it deserves a proper discussion and and I'm sure also there's lots of polarization going on in terms of you know the opinions that are that are flying around but I mean I do uh, as it comes to cheese where where I nowadays call myself an expert having had god I don't know 100 different plant-based cheeses I think a, a huge majority of those are just completely nutritionless I mean it's coconut oil and starch and and usually modified starch that's what these products are. And if you, especially if you replace, if you add it to a sandwich or, or whatever, wherever else you add it, you usually, it would make up a nice mix uh, of, of, you know, uh, nutrition where the protein is, is a key part of, of, of the cheese ingredient, right? And they just have none of it. Uh, so the, the Violife, for example, their Greek block has zero protein. You have the Green V, they're also like feta has zero protein. Most of these, I think that might have 3% tops. I think that's problematic. And also, I mean, as you, as you think about the live microorganisms, I think that's also something that is beneficial. Also, when you ferment, there's lots of other benefits coming to the product in terms of how it's um, kind of pre-digesting the food for you, right? I do think yeah. it's important. And we, for us, I mean, we, we want to have, we want the nutrition to be built in so you don't have to go think about it too much. But food without nutrition is, you know, it's not really food. I don't well, like, yeah. you know, empty calories. What is that really? So just quickly on the fermentation, are all your cheeses going to use fermentation or is it for the chunk? Because I think feta is fermented. Or I guess most cheeses are fermented. 
Yeah, um, fermentation is a great tool. We have had also work done without fermentation, but but we we are big fans of fermentation. And there's other areas where we think we'll use fermentation as well that I won't go more into. But but yeah, that's what. That's so you'll always get the live microorganisms when you use fermentation. Yes, unless you pasteurize it, which is basically when you kill everything that's in it. But we don't yeah. do that with this product, at least. What is fermentation? Can you give us like a layman's description? Yeah, so fermentation is the oldest, like most common food processing uh, technique. Basically, it's when bacteria start eating the food, <laughs> you know, and uh, and historically it's been the bacteria that, uh, that are naturally already on the food. So obviously we have chocolate is fermented, you know, beer, any pickled, you know, kimchi, or there's just so many, uh, or basically any any cheese out there. And so... For us, what we do is, you know, once we have our ingredients, we basically add a starting culture, which is made up of a number of different bacteria. And they, you know, they they like to eat sugar, they like to eat starch, but they also like to, you know, snack on the proteins and they create these enzymes that go off and cut off these proteins or also bind them together in different ways. So it's both really as it comes to flavor, getting rid of, so you can like as you get really sophisticated, you can design the right bacteria, the right enzymes to go off and, for example, eat or break down the, the molecules that create the off flavor. Or you can go off and actually create uh, molecules that make up a cheese flavor from the pea protein. It's like it's really intriguing, but it's also really, really complex because it's billions of these things, uh, you know, and, and you can't usually be that precise. Are you designing your own microbes and bacteria in-house or are you... Yeah, I, I, I would not comment that uh, too much right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, we'll finish off with a big question about the future food system. Say it's 2050. What are two or three things you think are going to look pretty different from today in the way that we purchase our food, we grow our food, we eat our food. Yes. And here's where I have some some good notes on the whiteboard. <laughs> you shouldn't tell everyone that. Okay. Do you want to cut that out? <laughs> um, no, I'm going to keep it in. Okay. All right. No, but I think, so for me, like, you know, I think exter- externalities have to be priced in. And so like having true cost... Uh, accounting will be really important to have that. And that will be like a self-regulating system, right? To to make sure, at least from a sustainability perspective. And then I really wish for a food system where we have like nutrition uh, and sustainability built into the products that we eat. So we don't have to think about it. And, you know, the foods, the food system, but also the food experience can be so much more about just joy and, you know, community and connection and just uh you know stockeld actually our name means campfire in in old swedish and you know the campfire is like that place i want like the future food system should provide the food experience around the campfire where we don't care about labels you know the nutritional label or the ingredients or we don't think about our weird keto diet or the carbs we get or the bcaa that i need before my workout so where food is just joy and pleasure and, and yeah, and community somehow. Very cool. Love it. 
Well, thank you so much, Ruth. Always great to chat. And thank you for sending this Stockel chunk. It really is yummy. And I've been nibbling on it throughout this conversation. So thank you. Good luck with the launch. Thank you. I'm so happy you liked it. You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.